0: He is risen. risen Boy, what a time of of singing, worship. I was back there for a lot of the first part of the service, and you should hear your voices reverberating back there. And um, gave me a little bit of a taste of what I believe heaven's going to be like one day, when all of our voices together with all the other Christians who have ever lived sing together, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain and uh, knowing we're seeing him right there. He's not slain anymore. He's resurrected. About a week and a half ago or so, uh, Salem Baptist Christian School had their spring fling. Uh, so think fall festival, except it happens in the springtime because of COVID. You know, COVID affected everything, right? So spring fling was taking place, and, and, um, and Hillary and I were at one booth in which there's this great big cardboard cutout of a rabbit with its mouth wide open. Okay, you get in the picture with me? Big rabbit, mouth cut open. And the idea of this game is that kids would take and stand behind a line and they would throw beanbag rabbits into the rabbit's mouth. And you get three of them in and you get a prize. You get two of them in and you get candy. You get one in and get candy. And if you're a softy like me, you get candy no matter what. So <laughs> kids, were, kids were throwing, but, but I, I had to have something to entertain myself a little bit. So I would walk up to the kids, and I would have the three bean, bean bags in my hands, and I would say, hey, now listen, one of these bean bags is heavier than the other bean bags. And they'd look at me, and I'd say, that means that you're going to miss with one of these shots. And they'd look at me, and then they'd start to weigh it. And they'd look at them, which one's heavier? Now, I wasn't lying, okay? Because I'm pretty sure if you get down to like the, the ounces, the, the grams even, one of them was heavier than the other two. I didn't have any prior knowledge of what the weight was on these things. But these kids would, would, would believe me. And, um, but then there's a couple of kids who, when I say that, you can tell us the skeptical kids anyway. And they would look at me like, you are crazier than a box of rocks. And they would just throw the three, be- three, ba- three bean bags through the rabbit's mouth. Um, and you know what? I thought, you know, I've, I'm still entertained. I'm enjoying seeing certain kids not believe me. They doubted that I was legit. Now, they had good reason to doubt that I was legit because I was just pulling their leg on a lot of that stuff. But today, I wanna, I wanna talk about a guy whose name is Thomas who doubted something that was really, really important. You know, the little thing I was talking about, that's a little thing, but he doubted something that was really, really big. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 20. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, the scripture is going to be on the screen here in just a moment. But um, when we talk about Thomas, what is the one word description that goes with Thomas? It is doubting Thomas. You know that because that's what you've heard your entire life. He gets this unique tagline. People always say, it seems like, doubting Thomas rather than just Thomas, I want to read uh, John chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 24. Here's what it says. Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I want to pause right here and just go to the Lord in prayer, and, and we're going to pray together before we go any further. Father, in these moments, I believe that we are talking about the most important topic in the world. And because it is so important, Father, would you direct our minds and our hearts and tune us to hear your Holy Spirit's voice speaking to us. So that, Father, whatever is said, Lord, that it is Used by you to change our lives. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that secured our eternity. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's the story of what's happened up to this point. Um, Jesus was crucified on Friday. Um, he's nailed to the cross, he died, and then he is buried on Friday. On Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, and she finds the tomb empty. She runs back to tell the other disciples what she's found, and Peter and John, you know the story, they go taken off running towards the tomb, and, um, and, and John outruns Peter to get there, but when Peter gets there, Peter runs inside, and what does he find? He finds an empty tomb tomb, and the bedclothes that they used to wrap Jesus in neatly folded at the foot of the bed. Now, I want to say that that is a miracle in itself that a single man made his bed, okay? That by itself is a miracle. But the real miracle here is that the tomb is empty. That same day, Jesus appears to the disciples, and they are naturally scared out of their minds. They're seeing a dead man walking. They had seen him die on that cross, but now he is walking, he's appearing right in front of them. And so what does Jesus say? He says, peace be with you. In fact, he has to say it twice because they're so scared, peace be with you. The only problem is that Thomas isn't with all the other disciples when Jesus shows up. Now we don't know where Thomas was at, we just know that he wasn't there with the disciples. But when Thomas gets back to where the disciples are, they're all excited, and you can imagine them just talking over each other, trying to tell Thomas about Jesus coming to visit them, not as a ghost, but in the flesh. Well, Thomas' response is, nope, I don't believe it. In fact, he takes it a little bit further, and he says, unless I can see him in front of me and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side where his side was pierced there on the cross, I won't believe it. Come on, Thomas. Thomas you really are earning that name of Doubting Thomas, aren't you? Have you ever had that moment where you said something really crazy in a group setting and then you spent your life regretting it? And maybe it was something that was just off the wall, maybe it was something mean, maybe it was something ridiculous, maybe it was something that just flat didn't make any sense, but you said it and everyone heard you say it and then you regret it from then on. Well, most of the time other people forget about it right away within just a few minutes. Can you imagine being Thomas, and 2,000 years later, we're still talking about the -the off-the-wall comment that he made, the crazy comment that he made. The body's gone. The other disciples are telling the very same story of Jesus appearing to them. And even though Jesus himself said before he died that he was going to be risen from the dead, Thomas still doubts. You know, we we pick on Thomas a whole lot for his lack of faith, but I don't think he's a whole lot different from many of us. Thomas had just spent three years with Jesus. Three years in which he realized he knew that Jesus was a great man, that Jesus was a great teacher, that he was a great miracle worker. But this comment that Thomas makes shows us that Thomas' relationship with Jesus hasn't deepened, any more than just knowing about Jesus, knowing that he's that good man, good teacher. Some of you here today know Jesus to be a great man. You know him to be a great teacher, a great miracle worker, but your relationship with Jesus hasn't deepened any more than that. Some of you even go to church on a regular basis. Um, Maybe you're serving in a ministry somewhere, but you don't have a true relationship with Jesus. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to preach a sermon on what I believe to be the scariest verses in all the Bible. It comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And you can read along along with me on the screen, but Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, I believe that Thomas, up to this point, would have been one of the people that Jesus is referring to here when he makes this comment about not entering into heaven. I believe that Thomas knew Jesus was a great person. I think that he even loved Jesus as his friend and mentor, but I don't know that there had ever been a time in Thomas's life in which Thomas believed Jesus was the Son of God and was his Savior. Even when the disciples are so clear that they've seen Jesus, Thomas continues to doubt. In fact, eight days he continues to doubt. Eight days of thinking about it. And I imagine imagine this is eight days of the other disciples over and over and over again telling Thomas, Thomas, do you not believe us? Do you not believe the story that we are all telling you that's identical to each other? And they're doing their best to convince Thomas that Jesus is really who he said he was. He is the Savior of the world. He is the one who would redeem Thomas and give him a relationship with God, ensuring an eternity in the presence of God. For eight days, He's hearing this. And don't forget, he just spent three years with Jesus, and he would have remembered that Jesus himself said who he was and what he was going to do. Thomas just needed to believe it, but he doesn't. So then we pick up the story in verse 26. So read along with me in verse 26. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus knew the doubt and the disbelief in Thomas. In fact, not only knowing what was said, but what was in Thomas's heart, Jesus knew that Thomas' heart went beyond simple doubt to the point of disbelief in his Savior. And when Jesus calls out that disbelief that he sees in Thomas, Thomas makes a choice to see Jesus not simply as a good man, but truly as a son of God and his personal Savior. And here's what he calls out. He calls out, my Lord and my God. And this is the moment that Thomas moves from being an observer of Jesus to being saved by Jesus. And I got a couple of thoughts that I, I want to I point out from this story. And the first is that Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings peace. The first time that Jesus visited his disciples, remember um, the day of his resurrection, he comes into the room in which they are in and and he comes in and they see him and they're, they're scared out of their minds. And so what does he say? He says, peace be with you. In fact, he has to tell them that twice. That's how scared they were. But once they figured out that Jesus wasn't a ghost and that he was truly bodily risen from the dead, their fear gave way to peace. Jesus wasn't a ghost, he was real, he was alive, and his presence with them brought them peace. So then Jesus shows up again eight days later, and it's not the other disciples who would have been filled with fear. Why? Because Jesus has already given them peace about himself. He's already replaced their fear with peace. This time, I believe that it is Thomas who's filled with fear. And I believe Jesus speaks directly to Thomas when he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. That's what Jesus does. His presence brings peace. Some of you don't have peace because you don't have Jesus. The cool thing is that even though our life can be in turmoil and we can, we can never seem like we find a sense of calm, the cool thing is that Jesus says, Peace be with you. And I'm not saying that everything with Jesus is easy. It's not, in fact, the early disciples were almost all killed for their faith. Their lives were not easy, but listen, when Jesus is present in your life, a supernatural peace is naturally a part of the picture. To where it's not always easy, but his peace is with you. Jesus says, peace be with you, and then what does he do? He immediately shows Thomas what? his hands and his feet. Now, I've never thought about this before this week when I was was looking at this and studying it. But I realized, wait a minute, Jesus says, peace be with you, and then what does he do? He shows Thomas the nail marks in his hands and in his feet. You see, Thomas can have peace because of Jesus' broken body, and we can have peace because of Jesus' broken body. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about this peace when he says this in verse 12. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. In other words, Christian, he's talking to Christians, there was a time in which you were separated from Christ. You did not have the peace of Christ inside of you. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. But now, because you're a Christian, because you've accepted Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The body of Christ that was broken, the blood of Christ that was spilled on that cross, not that cross, but the cross. The body that was broken, the blood that was spilled on the cross is what brings us near to God. Paul continues, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. So it doesn't matter if you're a long way from God or close to God, he is our peace that restores that relationship with God. You know, for every single one of us, we were born separated from God, and we were separated because of our sin. We had no hope because we were without God. But because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross, we can be brought near to God. Why? Because Jesus himself is our peace. I'll say it again. Some of you don't have peace because you don't have Jesus. 2 Thessalonians, Paul hopes for the Christian church this. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself, Jesus himself, peace Give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. You see, there is something about the presence of Jesus that just brings peace. I want you to think about the disciples on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus, and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, this storm comes up. And what brought peace to the circumstances was the simple fact that Jesus was there with the disciples in the storm. They're filled with doubt. They're filled with fear. They think they're going to die. And Jesus speaks into that doubt, and he brings peace. When Thomas was at the height of his doubt about Jesus truly being risen from the dead, Jesus brought peace into Thomas's life simply by his presence. You know, I can't help but think that there's probably some of you here today who, if you were honest, you wouldn't characterize your life as being peaceful. In fact, it's, it's constantly in turmoil. And it could be anger, it could be grief, it could be a broken relationship, it could be dreams that are absolutely shattered for one reason or another, whatever it is, I don't know what it is for you, but you are not filled with peace. Can I tell you that Thomas was not a person of peace and it did not change for him until the presence of Jesus entered into his life. Oh, but when it did, Thomas's life was drastically changed. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, just look here. Thomas' response to the presence of Jesus coming in and just saying, peace be with you, was to simply call out, my Lord and my God. And I can imagine him just dropping to his knees in worship. Oh, you are my God. I believe in you now. See, to Thomas, Jesus had gone from being a dead teacher to a risen Lord. I can imagine that before this, Thomas couldn't move past seeing Jesus on that cross in all of his humanity with his body broken, his blood pouring out. He could not move past the mental image of seeing the man whom he had admired so much dying a humiliating death, half naked for the whole world to look at. But in an instant... When the presence of Jesus became real to him, he realized that Jesus truly was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lamb who had died to take away his sin and to give him a new relationship with God the Father. And in an instant, everything changed for Thomas. And I love this because he goes from being doubting Thomas to new Christian Thomas. And I also believe that he was more alive in that moment than at any other time in his entire life. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there are people here today who have never experienced the peace of God that Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 goes beyond anything that we can imagine even. We have trouble comprehending this peace. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some people here who are filled with doubt Can Jesus really be trusted? Is Jesus really the Son of God, the Savior of the world? Can Jesus really give me a relationship with God so I can spend eternity in heaven in the presence of God? And I imagine in a crowd this size with those here and those who are watching right now, that there are people who have never known that peace with God. You see, some people believe this, the cross, but they doubt this, the empty tomb. And they may not say it like that, but they live it with their lives You see, the resurrection changes everything, absolutely everything. And when we believe in Jesus, not simply as a good man or a good teacher, but as Lord and Savior of our life, the peace with God that I've been talking about becomes ours. Thomas had the luxury of of, of seeing Jesus walk bodily into the room in which he's in, but Jesus is not going to come walking bodily into this room so you can see those nail-scarred hands and feet. here's what Jesus does say at the end of the verses that we read earlier. Jesus says to Thomas, he says, have you believed because you've seen me? In other words, you believe, Thomas, because you see me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, you saw with your own eyes, therefore you believed. But blessed are those who don't see, yet they still believe. And listen, we don't have the luxury of having Jesus walk into this room and show us his nail-scarred hands, show us his risen body. But that does not mean that we can't still believe in His risen body and accept Him as Lord and Savior of our life. You may have come in here today with all kinds of questions about Jesus, and and you may be looking for the truth. In John's Gospel, we find a story about a blind man whom Jesus healed, and all the professors and all the religious leaders get a hold of this guy after he's been healed, and, and they start raising these intellectual problems. his healing, They say things like, hey, Jesus couldn't have healed you because we know that he can't be the son of God. Or, Or here's this reason and that reason or this philosophical problem with worshiping Jesus. And finally, this blind guy is exasperated and he says, look, I don't know the answers to your questions. In fact, I don't even understand your questions. But here's what I know. I know that I was blind and now I see. I know that Jesus has changed my life. And I can't explain this doctrine or this doctrine or this doctrine, but I know that Jesus has saved me. I could stand up here today and I could, I could lay out for you a whole bunch of material evidence for the resurrection. And if I did, I, I, really, I honestly find it very compelling. But deeper than any material evidence that I can give to soothe your doubts is my personal testimony in which I have found a Savior who loves me so much that he died for my sin. In Jesus, I have peace that passes all sensible understanding. And even though things aren't always easy here on this earth, that peace never leaves me and it never forsakes me. When I, come, when I came to the point of proclaiming Jesus as, like Thomas, my Lord and my God, he saved me and he gave me a hope for a future home in glory that far outshines this present life. And the doubt still rears its ugly head sometimes. But whenever the doubt comes, all I've got to do is look at that empty tomb and shout to my doubt that it has no place in my life because doubt and death itself has been defeated by my Lord with the cross and the resurrection. So if you ask me what I believe about Jesus, I'm going to tell you that I believe that he is God's son and that by my simple faith in him as my savior, he has saved me and he has gifted me with eternal life. That's what I say about Jesus. But what do you say about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Your answer to that question has your eternity riding on it. If your answer is anything beyond Thomas' statement of my Lord and my God, then today can be your day of salvation. In a moment, we're going to sing, and when everyone stands to sing, if you're realizing that you need to give your life to Jesus and make him Lord of your life, then I want to invite you just to come right up here, and we're going to have someone just walk you through what that looks like. Or maybe you're here this morning, and and you're a Christian, and you simply feel the need to, to pray. Maybe to praise God for that cross and that empty tomb. Maybe to ask God, God, I've forgotten what it looks like to follow you to make sure that daily you are my lord and my god. Or God, I'm not really feeling this peace that you've promised me. Whatever it is, whatever business you need to do with God, I want to invite you this this you can come up here and pray, you can come up and talk to one of us. But today is the day for you to do business with God because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. And tomorrow it could be too late. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for that broken body and that spilled blood of Jesus. Oh, but Father, thank you for the resurrection that defeated death once and for all, giving every single human being the opportunity to have a relationship with you and our sins forgiven and a right relationship with you restored. Father, we live in a world that is in turmoil. We live in a world in which it's hard to find peace. But Father, it could be that it's hard to find because we're looking in all the wrong places. And true peace is actually found in your presence. So Father, for anyone here this morning who does not have a relationship with you, may today be the day that they give their lives to you. And for any Christian, Father, who needs to know Once again, what that peace looks like. Father, call us back to you. Father, we love you, but we only love you because you first loved us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die in our place. And it's in his holy and precious name I pray. Amen.